Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Firefish Recruitment Podcast. Today we will be joined by Natasha Clark to discuss what is a real hot topic in the industry as we move into a job-led market. Previously Chief People Officer at S3, Natasha now specialises in supporting CEOs and boards to develop their people strategy, driving business performance through leadership and culture. This podcast was originally filmed on the Crowdcast platform, so you may hear some live questions being answered throughout. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Firefish Recruitment Crowdcast Live. My name is Matt Jelly, and today we're going to be discussing how to become the recruitment agency that everybody wants to work with. I'm delighted to welcome our special guest. She is a NED board advisor and former chief people officer at S3. It is, of course, Natasha Clark. Good afternoon, Natasha. How are you? I'm great, Matt. Thank you. And I don't think I've ever been introduced before with such enthusiasm. So thank you. It's lovely to hear. Well, it's uh, it's wonderful to have you here. And um, I'm sure the, the guests will be looking forward to the session. Um, and thank you for joining us. It's, it's great to see you. Indeed, to the audience, if you have got any questions um, throughout the Crowdcast today, please just pop them in the sidebar um, or use the ask a question option at the bottom of the page. Um, so as I mentioned, today we're going to be discussing how to become the recruitment agency that everybody wants to work with. So Natasha, let's get straight into it. Um, considering the current climate, there's going to be a huge number of candidates looking for work going forward. How can recruitment agencies differentiate themselves from other recruitment agencies in this current climate? So, Matt, I think I'm going to take your question um, from both an employee perspective and as a, an agency trying to attract candidates to work for their clients. Because um, I do think actually the answer I'm going to give you hopefully will play to creating competitive advantage in both ways. Um, and those that know me will know that I have a real um, leaning towards trying to create purpose out of, of what I do and what I do with, with the clients that I work with. And I'm a great believer that bringing purpose and meaning into not only life but work really helps you understand the why. And the why helps you approach what you do in a different way and I think recently a lot of people have been asking why quite a lot you know why why would I risk my life going in, in central London on the train when when we've got a pandemic going on <laughs> why is this happening what where did this come from there's lots of questions and, and yeah. I think people now are going to start asking the question around why would I work for this company why would I be a candidate that would want to work with this recruitment agency um, so it's it's really about, I think, starting to de-transactionalise um, the job that we do and start to make it more human in approach. Mm -hmm. um, so recognising that the people we employ are individuals, the candidates we place are individuals, and we have to be flexible in our approach to understanding what these individuals are like and that there's not always one way to do something. Um, and... I'll touch on it a bit more, I think, as we go through today's talk, but I, I, I plant that thought with the audience at the moment, which is what's your purpose and what's your meaning beyond just making money? We're here to make money. Let's mm -hmm. understand that. That's 
That's why we're in business as a fundamental outcome. But there is a purpose beyond that. There's a reason why people come to work for us or engage with us for our services. So hold on to that thought and maybe we'll draw that out a bit, bit more as we go. Absolutely, absolutely. And very um, uh, incisive there, certainly. So, I mean, with that in mind, in terms of that as a, as a strategy for companies, you know, what would you say are the most important things for agencies to be working on to make themselves better at the moment? So coming back then, think about what your purpose is. So I think one, I think Viewper's a great example because Viewper talk about their purpose being not just providing the funds for people to have private health care, but they talk about their purpose being um, enabling people to live longer and better lives. Mm -hmm. um, so I think beyond that, organisations and recruitment businesses should be thinking about, again, long-term beyond just revenue. So the decisions that they're making how do they impact the long term and focus on outcomes rather than just behavior kpis hours and in the in my experience this industry is very much about inputs have, how much of you input will absolutely determine the outcome it's not always a, a sense of looking at quality and the decisions that you make being around a longer term game you wouldn't upset a client for a hundred grand deal if you knew that client wouldn't come back to you because your practices and processes were unethical or weren't considerate of the client or caring of the client. Um, and I'll give you an example of this sense of meaning to what we do. And I'm sure those of, of our listeners that have been in the industry for a long time will recall being taught to do things like strip a CV. Well, imagine your client or a candidate was sat in your your sales floor or your office and heard you training someone to strip a CV, what would they think was going on? If I heard that, I'd think, oh my goodness me, what's that? That doesn't sound very ethical. That doesn't sound very appropriate. But actually, I think what we're meaning is look at a CV, see what information that CV holds that's going to give you knowledge. Does that knowledge give you more understanding about the industry you work in, the opportunities that might exist, the types of skills a company might look for? And do you use that knowledge then to build your network? And by building your network, you're creating more opportunities for your candidates. So this concept of strip a CV, when we actually work through it, has nothing to do with stripping a CV. It has to do with how are we building our networks to deliver a better service to our candidates and our clients? But this is what I mean about meaning in what we do rather than transactional task driven activity. OK, fine. And then the service becoming essential in fact, going forward. And obviously, again, looking at that differentiation piece at the moment, because there's going to be lots yeah. of candidates, you know, lots of agencies, you know, how a company is going to decide amongst them. Um, staff want to feel meaning. If mm -hmm. I'm just if I come out of university and I'm starting my career in recruitment, mm -hmm. the job, oh, I'd like to feel I'm in a professional industry. So mm -hmm. one of the first things I'm taught is how to strip a CV. What am I going home feeling about the job that I do? Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Um, and then I suppose within the wider perspective of where we are at the moment, do you think as recruiters we've learned anything from COVID-19? And on the back of that, do you think there's anything that we can take back into the office indeed as that starts to happen? Yeah, well, I would like to think we absolutely have. And, and many of the companies that I've been speaking to over the last few weeks, I think, have shared with me that the last few weeks has had a significant impact on leadership thinking. Um, 
it's probably the obvious one and I mentioned it earlier this sense of hours worked is is a determining factor often in how we lead people in the recruitment industry um but we've proved that working from home is possible we've proved that presenteeism mm -hmm. could become a thing of the past um we've we've shown or leaders have had to engage with themselves to become more empathetic more understanding of individual circumstances um the, the needs that their own staff have in order to cater for adapting to the time that we're in um and and i've been talking to quite a few leaders who i mean the, the whole working from home thing has been revolutionary because they've said to me you know i've been in the industry 20 years i never thought this would work so our own limiting beliefs around can we have salespeople not working in the office can we have people working from home and not giving it a hundred percent so for me um I think one of the significant changes coming out of this will be that we've demonstrated working from home is possible. Um, presenteeism hopefully will become less of an issue because that in itself puts pressure on people. We often know if you're in the office and you're not working, but you're just doing the hours, that has an impact on your stress levels, your engagement, mm -hmm. which then impacts your performance. And I, I think the other change, Matt, as well, is that a lot of the adjustments that have had to be made over the last few months would typically be adjustments that would be made for women in the workplace so the ability to work flexible hours maybe working from home needing to have adjustments made but i think we've we've through what we've had to adapt with we've probably created an opportunity to allow men now the experience of having some of this flexibility too and not feeling that they can't ask for it just because then not a woman and perhaps they don't admit to doing the childcare and all of those Sounds a massive step forward yeah oh i think it would be and i think there's many a man and you might advocate for this that would would sit there and say yes i've always wanted to have some of this myself too and maybe never felt i could quite ask for it i also hope that um this whole working from home concept will allow us to think about broadening out our talent pools too so I don't think our industry has been particularly great um, in recruiting those with disabilities into the recruitment space. And maybe now again, allowing people to work in a space where their reasonable adjustments that they require have been made because it's their homes might allow us to be more open-minded in terms of some of the people that we bring in and recruit. And I certainly feel that the people I've been speaking to have had that realization too. And do you feel like a real light has been shone on that? Do you think that's really come to the fore and, you know, changed as a a priority or something that's bleeping on people's radar, whereas it just didn't before? Yeah, I, I, I just, I do feel that we've just become a bit more human over the last few months. Well, that sounds massive though, doesn't it? I mean, to, and it's not the first time I've heard it, you know, because, you know, to say we're becoming more human and, you know, having more of a touch in that respect is is huge. Uh, just getting back to flexible work patterns, because you mm -hmm. mentioned them a second ago, because uh, and that was coming off the, the back of um, the gender and disability element to, to a certain extent. But flexible work patterns, you know, they've been coming pop popular, re you know, over previous years, haven't they? You know, are they accelerating? You know, is increased productivity going to come from, you know, more flexible work, work patterns? So I think it's all very individual. Um, so clearly some people have a better setup at home to work in than others. So as leaders, I think we are, we have to be very mindful about our teams and what their personal circumstances are at home. So have they got, do they share a flat with a group of friends or have they got a place where they've got a quiet space where they can sit and work? Um, but um, 
I think that, um, sorry, what's the question? I'm getting so excited about talking to you. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Flexible, yeah, flexible working practices and, and, and increasing productivity. Yeah, I'm yeah, just interested yeah. to see whether, you know, yeah. following COVID really and whether there's an yeah. acceleration in that area. Yeah. I get one of my, I did a strength finder exercise the other day, Matt, and one of mine came out as being enthusiasm. So sometimes I have to slow myself down. But yeah, I've heard a lot of my clients have been telling me that productivity has gone up. Really? Okay. okay. So productivity levels have gone up and that's from recent, recently. Yes. And not necessarily translating yet into revenue because of course with the environment we've got going on at the moment, but the individual's um, productivity level in terms of the inputs and outputs that then would hopefully build for revenue in the future have gone up and people have been more engaged. They're not traveling into the office. They're saving time. And I've heard from an awful lot of leaders recently that they have been surprised and and also that, again, they're shining a light on and understanding that some people really connect with this way of working and others don't. So the approach going forward will need to be one where we want to get the best out of our people. Let's understand what how we get the best out of our people. And if for some people that is a more flexible working pattern or a work from home routine or a blend of the two, then let's start to consider that, but do it on an individual basis rather than this blanket approach. And that is interesting, um, certainly going forward. In fact, it links into a question that one of the audience has just put forward, and that is, how do you think cultures will be developed or continued in a virtual organisation? So culture, I know, is a huge topic for you, Natasha. But yeah, once again, how do you think cultures will be developed or continued in a virtual organisation? Yeah, it's a very good question, actually, and I think one that a lot of people have had to tackle over the last few weeks. Those that have done it well have started from a place where they've got a real clear sense of what their values are. Yeah. So they've actually already understood what behaviours do they value, what are the values that they aspire to, and that underpins then effectively the decisions that, that they make going forward. And for a culture to be a good culture, we're talking about a culture that can in, that includes people from different backgrounds and uh, with different experiences and, and, and a culture where people or an environment where people can perform to the best of their ability and be their true selves. So it just requires us to start thinking now about different ways of achieving that. So in our industry, typically our culture has been created by having everyone in the room together, lots of raw, lots of going out after work together, lots of team. Um, and that hasn't always worked for everybody. A lot of people have gone along with a lot of that without it necessarily being the thing that's, that's resonated with them. So what people are starting to do now to to reinforce values and to keep a cohesive team environment is doing a lot of these things virtually. So I'm sure many people listening will have experienced doing team quiz nights, doing beers online at four or five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, um, making sure we're using technology to create engagement. So like we're doing today, face to face rather than just on the telephone or email. But it just requires us to just think a little bit more beyond the obvious um, and to step out of some of these perhaps past practices that we've been so rooted in uh, because we've always felt there's only one way to do it. Absolutely. And I love what you say there about, you know, rooting that back in values. And I think it was Walt Disney who said that it's easy to make decisions when you know what your values are. And at the moment, certainly 
a lot of decisions and some big decisions are having to be made. So um, no, so that's lovely, Natasha. Thank you very much. Other questions are coming in as well. So I'm going to uh, just go straight to them, if that's OK, uh, Natasha. Um, so this is from Kathy Buckley. Um, how does a very small agency set themselves apart or get airtime when competing against large agencies? PSLs are often judged on numbers. Mm. So, you know, a, a, a specific scenario there. Um, just wondered if you had any thoughts on that at all, Natasha. Yeah, I mean, the whole differentiation point is a challenging question, isn't it, for, for all of us? Um, the PSL scenario specifically is tough because you're right, you'll be often be judged on you know, volume and capability to do volume. Um, on that very specific point, I think it would be about trying to differentiate yourself by being able to, to deliver something that perhaps the broader PSL might be less capable in. So not trying to be the same as everyone else, but find a way that you can be seen as a bit different in the service you deliver or the type of candidate that you are able to provide to the client. Um, becoming friends with the, the PSL, the, the um, RPO or whoever's running it um, and actually seeing them perhaps as, as your ally um, and working more closely with them. But I mean, smaller agencies have the upside in that they can be more agile. I actually think in a smaller agency, you can be, you can create a more consistent approach to your values being felt outside of the business. It's quite hard to, to, to control the behaviours of a thousand man company if you've got a, a 10 20 man business it's much easier to get everyone aligned around the same value set and to reinforce the right behaviors and ensure the right behaviors are delivered because it's much more visible um, and your your the leaders are much closer to what's going on and i do think going forward this whole piece around caring empathy people are going to want more of it and actually, as a smaller company, you, I think, will probably find it a bit easier to, to ensure that, that your customer has that consistent experience from all of your staff than from some of these bigger organisations that really will struggle to embed that and test and check that it's embedded all the way through the organisation. So that agility, that relationship building that they could do, and you said a second ago, become friends with the PSL or, you know, become friends with the uh, the client is relationship based. Mm. Um, I mean, going forward, things are going to be changing a more partnership based model to, to a certain extent. Um, do you think there's going to be opportunities for the smaller agencies going forward? Well, again, I think people will make their decisions around who they work with now based on these values that have become so important over the last few months and I keep bringing them up because I think it's really key do you empathize with the people you're engaging with do you show care for them and compassion do you think beyond just the money and people I think over the last few months will make decisions around who are they going to work with or for based on how did these organizations treat their people during the COVID scenario and some organisations have done a fantastic job of showing care and empathy and compassion in this time. Others won't have done such a great job. So my personal belief is size is, is irrelevant. I think it is easier in a smaller company, as I said earlier, to get the consistency in that through the business. But it's, it will be around, do you demonstrate that you offer that to the people that work for you or for the candidates that come and engage with you? Okay, interesting. And leadership is a big thing. But going back to that from the, you know, 
small, medium-sized agencies going forward, is leadership more important now than ever within those within those companies? Well, very much so. Um, I mean, I think you touched on culture earlier. Culture will be critical. Cultures that are inclusive will provide better outcomes in terms of performance. People will be choosing to work in companies where the culture allows them to be themselves. We've all had this time to reflect on what do we need out of that job. We've all had the opportunity to work from home and decide if it works for us or not. We've all started to be able to go for a walk in the park or for a jog. Or, yeah. And we started to realise oh. there's some things actually that have come out of this that we want to hold on to. Um, and so the culture of, of companies now is going to be critical. And, and I heard a really um, insightful phrase a few years back, which I've held on to, which is your culture is the worst of the behaviours that you tolerate. Right. OK. So, so if you start from that basis, you can see where you can start to think about where does your culture sit? How, what is the worst behaviour you, you tolerate in your environment? Because that will define your culture. And if the worst behaviour really isn't very bad, you've probably got a great culture. But if the worst behaviour demonstrates anything unethical, unlawful, racism, sexism, that will define your culture, even if there's a lot of other great stuff going on. OK, and bearing in mind we're perhaps shining a light on it in the in the current covid situation that we've been in how do you think the business culture is going to change um due to covid well like i said earlier i think people are going to be looking for a more understanding environment to work in a more flexible and agile environment one that caters to their needs their personal requirements a bit more um and i certainly think the black lives matter campaign has shone a light on actually we should be asking more from leaders of our country leaders of the police force leaders of organizations to start to think really hard about are we inclusive do we give everyone an opportunity do we understand our people do we help? what's the benefit natasha what's the benefit of diversity and inclusion okay so i'm sure many people will have read up on this um my view is that if you create an inclusive environment what you do is you allow diversity to exist and diversity is is different experiences that come in through hiring different people different life skills different technical skills different perspectives different socioeconomic backgrounds and the blend of all of that ultimately you will hear and, and it absolutely is true will help you to be more innovative you more will, innovative you will not get group think because we won't all be thinking the same because we'll all be bringing to the table our different thoughts experiences and perspectives so the companies that that want to drive innovation will go out and make sure they hire people or bring people to the table that come with these different backgrounds and experiences to share clearly you open up yourself to to look like a great place to work if you become inclusive, you treat people the same, everyone has the same opportunity, people will be attracted to work for you. If you do this ongoing, people will stay working for you and you'll retain your talent and you won't. people won't leave because they feel excluded and they've got to go and find somewhere else to fit in. And your customers will get a better service from you because your staff will be able to relate to your customers because your customers aren't all the same and of the same makeup. And they'll be going through a lot of this themselves too. 
Okay, and interestingly, we just had a comment put in from uh, Kathy Buckley. Uh, McKinsey's report, Diversity Matters, shows that it's a no-brainer. Companies will attract and retain better people and increase a blend of ideas so they can become more innovative, more productive, more profitable from what you're saying. Is it now the time for small, medium-sized recruitment agencies to maybe look at this a bit more than they had done before um, compared to sort of larger organisations who, one could argue, might have more resources to do it? Um, but getting back to that small, medium-sized organisation, wanting to differentiate themselves going forward, things have changed after COVID. Is now the time to... Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's been interesting because you and I were chatting about this earlier, but I've had quite a few people contact me over the last few weeks from, from smaller organisations just saying that this period of time has really shone a light and allowed them to step back and think about their business. And people are putting their hands up now and saying, actually, there's some stuff going on we, we're not comfortable with. And we'd like to see some change. And so, um, yes, now's an appropriate time to do it. Um, any time's a great time to do sure. it. Sure. But now, particularly, I think the demand from staff will be their customers are going to start asking what your policies around certain things are now too going yeah. forward. So the supply chain is going to have to demonstrate their activity and their, their um, impact in this area. But resources are helpful. But um, as I said earlier, in a smaller agency, impact can be made much more quickly. And it's my personal belief that if the, the most senior person in the business understands why this is important, and it's not just a tick box exercise, but they truly buy into this being the right thing to do for all the reasons we talked about, as well as being morally the right thing to do, yeah. and they can hold that torch. And they will be the ones that will drive the change through. They role model and they call out the wrong behaviours and they don't allow those wrong behaviours to be tolerated. You will very, very quickly shift your environment. And if you start recognising and rewarding the right behaviours and the right people that lead and create the right culture, the shift will come. Whether you've got a HR team of 20 people or not, in a very small business, this starts, well, it starts in every company with the leadership, but the leader is so visible in a smaller company. They can own this if they want to, and then they get their champions around them and those that get it with them. And, and you, can, you can affect change very quickly. And that's the key thing, isn't it? Affecting change at the moment, affecting change that will differentiate you going forward, but also be in line with your values and culturally what is the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. And I think the generation um, that are coming into the workforce now will just expect this. This is a given. Yeah, sure. Yeah, really have a choice. And I um, read something else the other day as well where someone had quoted that diversity is the new Darwinism. Sure. Well, it's part of it, isn't it? So, yeah. I think that's true. Mm. Interesting. Um, and well, we'll take uh, a slight sidestep for a moment, if that's OK, uh, just because there is a question that was previously answered. In fact, before I go on to that question um, by John. Uh, yeah. That, and that, again, resonates what Cathy Buckley uh, kindly put up for us regarding uh, McKinsey's report on diversity matters there. Um, so uh, into quite a specific question here from uh, John. Uh, and this is well, regarding the hospitality uh, industry, really, but do you have any specific advice for hospitality recruiters, bearing in mind, obviously, the extra challenge in that respect? 
advice for, around culture or just generally how we adapt now to well i think i think i mean it's it's asked here specifically um any specific advice for hospitality recruiters so to be honest i think it's probably general i, I think it might be to do with the fact that, that you know it's obviously a challenged sector yeah. at the moment um well, and I think saying, um sorry matt to interrupt i think what what companies are having to do now is reframe things aren't they and they're having to think about well if this way didn't work before what's the new way um and i think within the hospitality sector from what i can understand the shift is going to be led now around technology doing a lot of what people might have done before so how how does the recruitment business that service that industry then look at how that industry is looking to adapt going forward and align their service provision to the changes that that industry is having to make to continue to ensure they drive the profitability through. Um, and I think there's a lot of companies, aren't there now, who are having to tweak and refine their service offering because of the impact of what's happened. So they've got to understand what their customers are doing and the journey that their customers are going through and then look at how they adjust their service offering to deliver now what the customer will need with the new way they're going to be working um yeah so sure no excellent and john hopefully that that helps and yeah absolutely you know look at the effects um that it's having on that sector and um um be as agile as you can or adaptive as possible to it um let's get back then to you know the heart of what we're talking about today how can you know recruitment agencies make themselves be the agency that you know everyone wants to to work with how can they differentiate themselves um we've looked at the diversity and inclusion elements the cultural perspectives the increase that that can have on productivity uh innovation and a number of you know great areas going forward natasha what are the you know what advice would you give to smaller agencies that might feel they haven't got the budget they haven't got the you know the resources to to get that in play do you, do you have any sort of tangible sort of things that they could take away yes so, I mean, we touched a moment ago on starting with the leader um so very quickly you can define the type of culture that you want to create you can define the values that are important within your organization you can talk about those and make sure that they are demonstrated every day in how your business operates and you can sell that to people that might potentially want to come and work for you um, and you can do things that you know at the moment are what people want out of a business we've touched on a lot of things today people are going to want to have flexibility they're going to want to be able to have flexible work hours work from home people want their mental health looked after you know what are you doing to make sure that actually I can come into work and be my true self what are you doing to make me feel safe that I can be honest with you about who I am and what I need to perform to my best? So again, I think from a, a small organizational perspective, you're very well equipped to do this. And it is just about being able to know what you want to achieve, understand the people you're going to bring on and what they need to perform at their best and being agile and flexible to allow them to share and talk to you about what they need and get people involved. Um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning Matt, but we've recently um, launched a platform called Mental Health in Recruitment, which I'm an ambassador for. Um, it's, um, it's live now. Um, I'm the chair of Women in Recruitment. These are networks that are available out there to help support big, small, medium-sized companies, anybody, anyone that wants to engage and understand what more they could do to be more supportive of their staff. We're a people-based business. Without our people, 
we don't exist. If our people aren't performing because they're not engaged, the business doesn't perform so well. So it is about our people and it's about how do you get the best out of people? How do you get the best brains in the room to help you achieve your business goals? And how do you keep them wanting to perform? So get involved in some of these networks where you'll get you'll get advice for very little commitment from yourselves. Um, and you're, you're evidencing then to your teams that you are not just ticking the box, you're actually getting involved, you're trying to educate yourselves and understand, and you're taking the advice that people are wanting to share this is all about sharing now fantastic excellent and um then going on to be able to make the difference um in of course differentiating themselves going forward and you know whether they um move on to thrive and survive well i think that's the other point to remember is the hardest bit is attracting the talent in in the first place isn't it so once you've got your talent keep them yep and talk to them, Help understand who they are as a person and what's going to keep them working for you. And you, some of this attraction issue goes away if you can hold on to your staff. You still obviously need to build and grow. But one of the reasons attraction is such an issue in the recruitment industry is because retention is often a challenge. So absolutely, an attempt put it out there and do what you say. And if you do what you say, you will find people will generally stick around. And that talent, as you say, is so important. And even though there's going to be a surge in job ready candidates, doesn't mean that there's going to be equally a surge in that talent. That talent is still hard to find and equally uh, very important to re retain. Um, one final question, um, which sort of links into maybe what we've just been covering there, but just as a sort of final one, what steps would you advise to an agency owner starting to move towards an output led organization? Yeah, it's a good question because that's quite a transition for our industry, actually, and it doesn't necessarily come naturally. It comes back to what I talked about earlier in terms of creating meaning behind what you're doing. So try and understand if you've got um, a task-based or sort of KPI-based environment at the moment, I'm not saying throw it out. I'm saying modify it and, and look at how you then identify what the outcome of the task is. So this is a really basic example, but I think it just highlights the challenge. In times gone by, we would have perhaps looked at how many phone calls somebody had made. And they if they've yeah. done 100, tick. If they've done 10, you've not hit your target. What about if those 10 had been a better quality and achieved a better outcome than those 100? Who are we wanting to recognise for good performance in that scenario. So if we're setting a target or an objective, understand what it is that target or objective is trying to deliver or trying to achieve. If it's a case of identifying, um, um, finding new manager names that might be possible clients in your industry, well, why are you doing that? You're finding new names to build your network. What does building your network do? It creates more opportunity. How do you then leverage that opportunity to get the outcome, which is more jobs? So it's it's trying to, to focus on what it is that you're ultimately trying to achieve and that people will get there in different ways. If you talk to people about the outcome and allow them to sometimes come up with the way they will get there, in my earlier example, maybe I know I can achieve in 10 phone calls what someone else is going to have to take 100 to do. Don't knock me for not doing the 100. Look at what I've achieved through doing that activity and recognise me for the outcome I've created, which might be that I have 
10 new contacts that are now a part of my hot client list that I know in the next six months are hiring, for example. Well, Natasha, I think that's wonderfully put, and I think it's very logically put as well. And, it, you know, you make it sound quite easy, but obviously ad adopting that process is, is is key to that as well, isn't it? Um, One of the things I suggest people might do, if it's helpful, Matt, is um, I did a very interesting exercise with a, a team of managers once to just break down some of these KPIs and just take the, the label and then yeah. say, well, okay, what does this label mean? What does that lay? What really are you asking for from that label? What does good look like if someone does this? What is it that you'd like to really see? And just get people in the room, just breaking. Isn't it suddenly it's revolutionary? They step back and think, "Oh my goodness, yeah, actually, I don't want them to make hundred calls. If they could do that in ten or five, this is the thing I'm really worried about." Yeah, and you can get there a different way. Your team will feel so much more empowered and engaged with it. And not like they're just a transactional robot. And that is so key to being able to perhaps then lead on to give a partnership-based model with clients, yeah. one that is, you know, bespoke to the, the client in certain circumstances, you know, and relating really to what their requirement is, as opposed to just tick boxes or led, led on to KPIs. And let's face it, at the moment, if there's an area that's going to differentiate an agency, it's that partnership relationship they're going to have with their client, surely. Well, yes, particularly if we've got more candidates on the market and candidates are in greater supply for our clients. Our clients are going to want to work with the agencies that give more than just a CV, that wrap it with a bit more um, value than just the transactional side of what we do. Natasha, fantastic. I'm going to ask you just for your top three Top three things for recruitment agencies to take away to differentiate themselves very, very briefly, very succinctly, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Okay. Um, understand your purpose, why you exist beyond just revenue. Create the right culture. As a leader, take ownership for that. It is your responsibility. And remember, your culture is defined by the worst of the behaviours that you tolerate. And give people hugs. <laughs> I love a hug. And I think in the time we're allowed to connect in that way again, people do like a hug. And sometimes as leaders, we have to show our human side and, yeah, care. Well, it's uh, all about leadership. And I know previously you've been a great one, Natasha. So, <laughs> um, Natasha, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, to the audience, um, I really hope you found that useful. Thank you for all of your questions. Uh, it's been lovely to be here with you today. Again, thank you to Natasha and her time. Join us in two weeks when we'll be speaking to Una McGuinness regarding automation with auto, marketing automation within the recruitment industry. How important and vital is that going forward? Probably quite a lot. So make sure you join us in two weeks. Take care for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.